Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to, man, this got the coolest name ever. This is Dr. Jared Longshore. Jared, you doing good, man? I'm doing good. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's great. Great to have you on. Why don't we go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help. And uh, we know when we ask, he's going to give it. Father, we just thank you for the grace of God that unites us. We thank you for your kindness to us and for Jared and his willingness to serve you, honor you, and and love you and lead in such a way that includes courage, that to be the, the man of courage that you have built him to be and and all the work that's going in Founders, we just thank you for that. We just thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for the blood of Christ that unites us. And we just ask that you would lead us. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus as we talk through uh, talk through several different things. But I pray that pastors would be encouraged and challenged. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help more and more pastors rise up and to not be ashamed of God's word and to walk in faithfulness before you and before others as they serve your people. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Jared, for those who may not be familiar with you, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your maybe your background, your education, tell us about your family, and then tell us what it is that you currently do. Yeah. Well, I am currently associate pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. I serve down here alongside of Pastor Tom Askell. I'm also the vice president of Founders Ministries, and I'm married to my wife, Heather. We have seven children. Um, 11 years old and down. And uh, let's see, background, grew up in Central Florida. I uh, grew up in a Christian home, taught the gospel when I was young, and then went off to college, um, ended up down here in Southwest Florida to finish up college, went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School to get started with my master's work, and then uh, transferred into Southern Seminary up there in Louisville, Kentucky to finish up my studies. So uh, yeah, I guess I've I don't know how long I've been in ministry now. Uh, I forget. So. Okay. <laughs> the years kind of blend together when you have seven kids and, uh, you know, in 11 or you said 11 years, how, how long you've been married? Uh, yeah. Oh man. You put me on the spot. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I know that too. We got married in 2007. Okay. So whatever that is. Okay. What is 13 that? years, seven years. kids, you know, things blend together. Right. I'm sure after, after That's a right. few years, but, uh, okay. We'll, we'll bring us then. You, you grew up in a Christian home, uh, you become a Christian, you go off, you get your MDiv and your doctorate, correct? You got both your MDiv and your doctorate. Uh, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, then right. are you simultaneously working in the local church? What was your call into ministry? What was that internal, external call like for you? Yeah. yeah. Even when I was a freshman in college, I remember just wanting to help Christians to know the Lord and his word and follow it. And so I had that internal call. Spurgeon talks about needing the internal and the external from the congregation and so I had the desire to do it. And uh, yeah, right out of college, actually, I started into pastoral ministry and then started my seminary at the same time. So I did all of my master's work and all of my PhD work while doing full-time ministry. So I was full-time ministry, part-time studies. Okay. That really served me well. I was never at the seminary full-time and I was able to really have my hands on. Um, the work that was set before me and I really liked it that way. So worked for me. Good. Good. So now how did you end up at Grace Baptist with Dr. Askell and working alongside of him and with founders? 
the university I graduated from uh, is only about 20, 30 minutes from here. And I began serving the church right by that seminary, right out of college, or sorry, right out by that university, right out of college. Was there for three or four years and then uh, got to know here at Grace and kind of linked up with Grace to plant a church. Uh, so that was like a second station of ministry. Okay. So, um, and then after doing that for about three or four years, uh, Grace called me here to serve as uh, an associate pastor. Fantastic. Now the church that you planted, are they still plugging along? Were they able to, to get another pastor to come in? Yeah, they are. They're still, they're still going strong. So very thankful for that. Um, a wonderful congregation, only about 30 minutes from where I serve now. So Wonderful. Man, it's been interesting. When I first got into ministry, it was very odd route. And we planted, I was 24 and single. We planted a church and it was a group of disgruntled people. I ended up meeting my wife there and we got married and our church ended up merging with a, a another church and we I became a multi-site pastor and we've always been in the southern Illinois area but we bounced bounced around a bit and I tell you it's been a it's been a joy each step along the way and if it's been if 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 your experience is anything like that there's there's joys to planting a church that uh, that are unique to planting and then there's joys I'm sure in your position that you're in that are unique to the the call that you're now serving in. But, uh, but I tell you what, serving in ministry is, is definitely a privilege and it's a lot of fun. It's a challenge, but a lot of fun. Amen. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's work through a few things that's happening right now. I just finished by what standard. And would you just tell us the backstory uh, of why the film was made, why the book was written and why it was that Dr. Askell and yourself and a few others decided to speak to the issues that are facing our uh, we're SBC church as well, Southern Baptist Convention Church. We're also a part of the Sojourn Network, which makes us a part of two networks that were, or one denomination and a, and a network that we're, uh, we're, we're watching very closely to see what our relationship is going to be in the future with. And uh, what was the motive for you guys to do what you've done with the whole By What Standard project? Uh, well, one way to get into it is to talk about this old uh, documentary called Battle for the Minds, which you can okay. find on YouTube. And it's dealing with the Southern Baptist Convention and the conservative resurgence. And uh, it's fascinating. I don't know when it was produced, but um, it's got like Molly Marshall, if you're familiar with that, you know, Southern Seminary, nobody remembers this now, but you know, she was like the head of the school of theology. And at least there's one, probably an apocryphal story that she was once preaching and called all the men to come down to the altar and repent of being men. So oh, really uh, <laughs> sounds like 2020. That could be apocryphal, but uh, you know, she's in the film and uh, Albert Moeller's in the film. Many others are in the film and uh, a buddy is sending it to me saying, you got to watch this. He says, this is all the same stuff we're dealing with right now. You know, it, um, it was, it was more developed back then. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a woman uh, in the head of the school of theology at Southern seminary now, but you could see the similarities. You could see the egalitarianism, you could see mm -hmm. the pragmatism and uh, then we, we saw that, and then uh, we go to the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that year, and we hear about this Resolution 9, right. uh, this, uh, and we were already there filming, so that's kind of how the, the film came, came to be. Uh, some of this was, some of this is Beth Moore talking about uh, women preaching, and then right. talking about women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And so you have this whole Southern Baptist feel, but then you also have kind of the young Calvinism, the new Calvinism thing. 
where there were a lot of people that were trying to go out into the cities and to kind of be Kuiperian, but it just didn't seem like they had enough depth to them. Mm -hmm. uh, They were buying into some bad notions of justice and equality and things of that nature. So um, as we started thinking about, well, what's the real problem? Well, the real problem is uh, not having biblical definitions for uh, these realities that are upon us. Right. And uh, so at any rate, we, we, we wanted to show, you know, what Paul says in Colossians, that uh, we should see to it that no one takes us captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, uh, that there really are these isms that we wage war against. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come around again and again. They kind of manifest with, uh, in new forms. But uh, we saw that happening in the world, particularly. We see it happening in our own society right now. And then we saw kind of this way that the church was adopting some of it and trying to maintain the Christian faith while buying into this other way of approaching the world. So you have evangelicals, people that I know and love that are saying strange things. And so at any rate, we wanted to demonstrate that and uh, by what standard try to show that there really is a bad ideology out there. Right. The heart of that. A man named Glenn Sunshine really spells out uh, Marxist thought and cultural Marxism. He he goes through there and he can help people to think, okay, I see how you're approaching the world. So this, Mm -hmm. whether you call it identity politics or whether you call it intersectionality, but this actual worldview of oppressor and oppressed and these different statuses of oppression, that's really one way to get into this philosophy or this way of approaching life that the world's involved in, that it seems more and more the church is trying to adopt, while, while really not saying, the church is trying to say, we're not buying this hook, line, and sinker. Like, we see that there's some problems, but down at the presuppositional level, there was a concern that there were there was a commonality that was not healthy, mm-hmm. uh, even, even somewhat of a naturalism rather than a supernaturalism. Yeah. Um, Francis Schaeffer gets into this and in his Christian manifesto, that there was you got to see what humanism is as a worldview and make sure that your Christianity has, has nothing to do with that. You're dealing with two entirely opposite ways of thinking about the world and thinking about your life, thinking about um, whatever really the subject is. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was the film. And then we just had a lot of content. Um, It was interesting. We, in, in many ways, even if you go all the way back to the statement on social justice and the gospel that was formed, when that was formed, um, Tom went to the meeting out in Dallas with John MacArthur and Tom was tasked with coming up with these, uh, you know, these, um, basically an affirmations in denial. And he sat down with a blank sheet of paper and we sat down here at the church and he started drafting that thing. And I was so encouraged as I saw it developing. Cause I'm thinking mm-hmm. this, we have clear definitions now. Yeah. Everybody wants to have the conversation about, uh, culture, what it is, ethnicity and race, what it is. Everyone wants to talk about, uh, whatever these topics are, justice, um, and here we, here we are presenting biblical definitions um, with which we can have the conversation. And I was right. struck by hearing people say, you know, well, that really shut down a conversation. And I'm thinking that, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what it was intended to do, first right. of all. And uh, I, I don't think it should shut down the conversation. In fact, if we're going to have a healthy conversation, we have to have these definitions. So really what we've been doing goes all the way back to that statement. And I, I think we didn't know all that was going to happen in the nation but it was fascinating by god's grace we start uh, you know writing on this more and holding some conferences on these ideas and then the nation seems to just rip apart at the seams right in front of us right 
and it's uh, we thank God for what we've done here. But in many ways, we Tom and I, when we got done with the film by What Standard, said, "My goodness, I, I do think there has been a coming out of some um, some Pietism and mm-hmm. appreciation for Schaefer and Kuiper uh, and yeah. others, the Lordship of Christ idea." So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of Baptists out there that the the Pietism has worked in opposite ways. So mm-hmm. for some guys they, they came they came out of Pietism and they went woke right. because they tried to go do something in the world and they went like more Martin Luther King mm-hmm. uh, than than uh, Kuiper. Right. And there's this other crew that their Pietism is kind of still keeping them at bay. They're still they're not really being impacted by the wokeness yet by the social justice stuff yet because they just really do have such a high four walls of their church and they're so disconnected from what's going on in the world yeah. um, that they have neglected this, uh, as Schaefer would say, a spirituality that touches upon all of life, uh, including government and things of that nature. Yeah. Now, so I think there's so much for us to do. I hope that by what standard is really just a beginning to have many guys come behind and say, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this area. That's good. Now your work has been welcomed with universal praise and adoration from the SBC and everyone else. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's been a little bit of pushback. Um, (laughs) there, There definitely has been. We, we knew, um, we knew that by what standard was going to be controversial because in many ways it's a new form. It's a video in which we are correcting uh, people who have spoken publicly and therefore I believe warrants uh, the correction, mm-hmm. but you're doing it through video, which is just new. And so you yep. can do that in, in print. I mean, we've been doing that in print for a long time. We're kind of used to it. And I hate that, you know, I don't, I don't just relish in conflict or anything like that, but the, if, it's funny if you go back and you listen to the trailer and watch it and think about the way we set it up. Tom was preaching a great sermon in Louisville, Kentucky. It's in that trailer in which he says we are being played. Yeah. And he's using the plural. We, mm-hmm. uh, evangelicals, and even reformed evangelicals. And then we demonstrated some of the ways we think um, mm-hmm. some of our leading evangelicals are being played. And then it became very much of a us versus them when we were using the plural, you know, or saying you're my brother in Christ and we love you. Yeah, and I don't right. like what you're, what you're talking there. And you really do need to, to watch it. So there's been some conflict. Um, but you know, I, I think there needs to be more of that. I think there needs to be more honest conversation. Um, you know, in the SBC, they talk about the 11th commandment and that is thou shalt not speak against your a brother in Christ at all publicly. Right. You never address right. anything publicly, even even the public uh, teaching, which is a really bad idea. And uh, then some of the pragmatism. So we mm-hmm. kind of like the partnership that we have. And if we address that issue, our partnerships are going to, to falter a bit. And we know that we can do more together in this kind of pragmatic understanding of the world. So we don't ever want to um, we don't want to be seen as a fundamentalist. You know, we don't want to yeah. be uh, a fight and fundy. Um, and so there's a there's a number of things going on there in the uh, SBC and in the broader evangelical world. But I've been surprised uh, once we dropped the film by what standard, uh, we have not heard any uh, hardly any negative feedback. That's uh, good. And I, and I know the uh, skillet guy, John Cooper. I was listening to uh, James White, and he loved the film uh, so much that he watched it three times. I think he said so. Uh, it's it's skillet approved. 
Yeah, I heard I heard that too. I got to uh, we need to like get skilled on our podcast or something. There you go. All right, well let, let's uh, talk through some of this. I think uh, everybody is familiar. Most of my listeners are familiar with Charles Spurgeon. I think Spurgeon is kind of like the gateway drug to for for everybody into anything beyond just basic evangelical theology. You discover Spurgeon, you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read in my life. I I love this, and you're hooked on Spurgeon the rest of your life. But but people are familiar with the downgrade controversy and in liberalism always starts it starts in a central place and it's always it's the the same pattern from the garden of eden forward and the same tactics from the enemy are just seen over and over again from era to era to god really say to god really say to god really say and it starts with i think in the hearts of evangelicals not just uh, entertaining the question but it starts with embarrassment i'm starting to be embarrassed about what the scriptures say in light of what the public thinks and so functionally then what I think ends up happening is people start to get embarrassed about the scriptures and then they deny the actual belief and the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture. And it seems to me that's just a, a it's just a repeated thing, this downgrade controversy in the late 1800s. And now here we are again, and it, it, it's always the scripture and then it's the women's issues. It's always, it always is the image of God and the image of God is attacked. And after George Floyd, there was, which was a tragic event, there was a Tuesday, the next Tuesday, it was called Blackout Tuesday. I don't know if you remember that. Everybody that I could, everybody I knew, it seemed like, pastors that I'd been in ministry with and, and friends were posting this Blackout Tuesday with, with hashtag Black Lives Matter. And that day, it dawned on me, my goodness, this is what the drafters of the social justice and the gospel, this is what the guys at Founders, even though I'd been following you guys for, for I mean, a long time, Dr. Askell for a very long time, this is exactly what they're talking about. Here it is. And it's just continued. The ball has been rolling and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So why is it, why is it that um, Southern Baptist brothers and sisters, and, and I could be wrong on this assessment, but why, why are people embarrassed about what God has to say? What's the deal? Hmm. Well, I'm afraid that uh, in the SBC, that embarrassment is um, is deeper than just personally being unwilling to suffer outside the camp with Jesus. And so we know that is a human reality. That is a mm -hmm. sin in the world. Uh, we don't want to suffer outside the camp with Jesus Christ. We want to be exalted in the eyes of men. We seek that glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes from God. Right. Those biblical texts come immediately to mind and is certainly in many ways a central problem, but that problem has metastasized in, in many places and it's developed its own um, ecosystem. And mm -hmm. uh, for example, um, I think J.D. Greer recently retired the broadest gavel yeah, um, I saw that. The idea was, you know, we have to do this in order to, you know, uh, we got to be done with that. And I think there was at least talk about using the woman's gavel, Annie Armstrong, I think, uh, or Lottie Moon, I'm not sure. But um, that kind of um, posture, you know, I'm going to do this because I want the world to the world's got to kind of accept us first. Right. And then once they accept us, then we can tell them about Jesus Christ. And then you would appeal to texts like Paul saying, I've become to all things to all men that I might win some or, or uh, in the gospels, we have let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. And those things are true. But when you, when you um, misunderstand or misapply that text and you think that it means people have to accept you 
uh, and they have to think that you're a great person right. before they're going to accept your message. You're buying into some of this pragmatic thinking. That's not the way it worked in the book of Acts. Right. I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, it was three yards in a cloud of dust evangelism. It was, I'm going to go into a city, I'm going to preach Christ. And, you know, a lot of people there in that city are going to hate me and try to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then some of them are going to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. They hung our savior on a piece of wood. And the apostles followed in his footsteps. And all throughout church history, we have people being martyred for the faith. And we shouldn't think that our day is going to be any different. But but I, I see some Christians, I'm convinced we don't see secularism or humanism as an actual religious impulse or commitment. Yeah. And so what you have is where we have no problem offending the Jehovah Witness. We have no problem with that. Jehovah Witness are over there next door, and there's their kingdom hall, and they're wrong. And, and here's, here's the truth. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're not worried about their feelings, but then we're terribly worried about all of the secularists. Absolutely. And so we yep. say, like, you know, the LGBTQ community has to, we have to be seen as friends of the LGBTQ community. Right. If we're ever going to be able to evangelize them and see them safe in Christ. And the that's such a dangerous presupposition because you you will not stand up in front of people and tell them that they are rebels against a holy God with no excuse and they're going to go to hell. And as a matter of fact, um, there's nothing you can do about it. You need this sovereign God to save you by his grace and he will. Yeah. So call upon him and he will. You can't say those kinds of things if you've got this presupposition working underneath that results in you kind of being ashamed of what of what scripture says. Yeah, orthodoxy goes to die on the altar of public witness. And when, when missiology is elevated to an unhealthy place biblically and ecclesiology is neglected, what ends up happening, the commands of 1 John to love your brother are replaced with love the world. And, and so I'm more, uh, I'm more willing to offend my Christian brothers and sisters than I am the world. And I'm not willing to offend the world. Actually, uh, my podcast this, this week actually addressed this very issue of an over-realized, over-overblown missiology and a desire for the for public witness to be the most important thing leads us to disobey God. I'm going to disobey God if all I want to do is make sure the world is happy with me. What is driving? What is it? And let's speak to pastors in particular. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about courage. And I think a lot of people are listening to Moscow and listening to you guys down in Florida because they're, they're not finding backbone in the public sphere anywhere else. They're, they're not finding people who are, who are not embarrassed about what God has to say and who are willing to offend the right people with the truth, not with being offensive, but with the truth. Let's, let's speak to pastors here and challenge them. What, what is, the, uh, what is the, the impulse that is leading pastors to not be that prophetic voice, to, to not um, speak against actual oppression or to get on board with fake oppression or to be on board with all the wrong things. What, where is the courage that pastors need to be in this for the long haul and not sell out? How do we challenge men to be men of courage? The courage is down there in justification by faith alone. Hmm. That's where the courage is. Yeah. And with a malnourished doctrine of justification the nonsense that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I, it doesn't matter what I say on this podcast to you. I could say something crazy and they could put my face all over the internet 
And you know what? I'm going to go lay my head on my pillow tonight and I'm going to be justified. I'm going to be covered in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I know that ridicule will come. It came to Christ. It came to the apostles, came to the church all throughout history. And it's going to come to us. But we, we are righteous in the sight of God because of the shed blood of Jesus. He has died on the cross for my sin and he has risen again from the dead. And don't care what people say. And, and, you know, you get to some of this, you have to know um, a right understanding of the law and the gospel would, would come immediately upon that doctrine of justification of faith and come with that doctrine of justification of faith. You really can't have one without the other, but understanding that, yes, I sin. And, and just like Thomas Watson says in his um, doctrine of repentance, well, the, the way I discover my sin and repent of it is by seeing it in the light of God's word. Right. And if we're dealing with a real secularism, which we are, then we're going to have, be accused of all kinds of faux sins. There's going to be a bunch of faux sins. Right. And then we have this thing, this, this whole uh, lamenting um, time of lament has become very popular, especially in Southern Baptist world. Yeah. Thank, thank like, you. We have to lament over things. Like yeah. We, so we, we, we really need to stop repenting of fake sins and yep. start repenting of our real sins. And the way you do that is you have to know what God's word says sin is. So that will help you with the backbone thing because you first, you know, you're righteous in, in Christ. And mm-hmm. secondly, you know, you're not perfect. You're not perfectly sanctified. You know, Wesley got that wrong. And so I've still got all kinds of work that needs to be done in my life. But when the accusations come, you measure them according to God's word. You say, okay, well, that's nonsense. That's something that I can glory in. Somebody thinks that, you know, what I said that was Christian is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then where we do sin, we just repent. But we don't have to um, heap shame upon ourselves or walk through these very public corporate uh, confessions of things that are just very minor infractions or maybe no infraction at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, men... And I think a lot of men, again, don't, a lot of pastors, sadly, in some ways, courage hasn't been required given the way that we operate in ministry. Yeah, fe- feminine, uh, pastoral, fe- feminine pastoral ministry yeah. has been the way pastors have been conducting themselves the last hundred years. It's been, it's been very yeah. womanly. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think a lot of guys don't even know it. Um, and, and, and they would change it if they were thinking rightly. I heard, I've heard it said recently, you know, how can you stand in the pulpit and not be kicking over people's idols in this kind of climate? And C.S. Lewis calls it resistance thinking. There's a book by Melvin Tinker called That Hideous Strength. Very good. And there's a C.S. Lewis quote in there where he basically says, you know, emphasize the parts of scripture that are accepted by the spirit of the age. And, you know, there won't be any conflict. But he said, neither will you be relevant or useful to mm-hmm. Christ and his kingdom. But emphasize the parts of scripture or the gospel that are contrary to the spirit of the age, perhaps even disdained by the spirit of the age. And then you will be relevant both in your day and in the time to come. Mm-hmm. And I, I've got this idea of like, especially in the SBC, I want to call it like swift swordsmen of the SBC because they're very swift with like, we believe in inerrancy and I can mm-hmm. preach and everything, but like they're swinging the sword, like somewhere over there, like in the corner and the battle is in the opposite yeah, direction. For real. And so we, we, we don't want to put the sword to work at, in the world where it needs to be at work. That's one of the reasons we actually have a project 
soon to be released, uh, season one soon to be released, called the Wield the Sword. It's just a follow up to By What Standard, Great. where we're taking issues like sexuality, even aesthetics and vocation and education, things like that, and saying, what does the Word of God actually have to say? And now this is where you're going to see the sparks fly when we actually say this is what it means to be a Christian, follow the Bible in this sphere, this area of life. Yeah. Well, a lot of this you're talking about is a breakdown, and, and I think a, a modern rediscovery of, with Baptists in particular, we, we have to shatter two-kingdom theology, and a lot of this has to do with eschatology, and I don't exactly know where you guys land, but this Kyperian thought that we have, that Jesus is Lord, I think it, a lot of people are discovering this, and a lot of people our age, um, there's there's been a lot of, uh, you know, Jeff Durbin has done some work, a lot of work in this, and I mean, several people have, but there is a, a rediscovery of, of Kyperian worldview within Christianity. You know, we all hear John Piper in his line say, when he's quoting Kuiper, like, uh, not one square inch of the universe where, where God does not say mine, you know, in his Piper-esque way. But, uh, you know, with, with the shattering or with the understanding of, of let's move away from a two-kingdom theology and let's embrace a worldview that says Jesus is king here, Jesus is Lord here. It changes how you see everything. Like, wait a minute. Jesus isn't just Lord of Christ Church Carbondale, where I get to serve as, as one of the pastors. He is Lord of the city of Carbondale, Illinois. And what are the implications of that? Pushing out the kingdom of God throughout the city. What does it mean that everybody in the city needs to bow their knee to the Lordship of Christ? And that changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. And so I don't know if that's been a part of your, your guys' theology or if that's been a kind of a, a recent, you know, last decade kind of thing. But man, I think for me personally, that's been transformative. Yeah, that is, um, I could talk about that for a very long time because that, that is accurate. What you just said is true. Um, eschatology does play a part here. And, you know, whether you call it post-millennialism or whether you call it optimistic amillennialism, that's all fine with me. But there, there needs to be an understanding that when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, he had a therefore before mm -hmm. that. And it was uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yep. And I've said it simply to a lot of the folks when I'm teaching is just when, when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven on earth. Like he didn't tell us to pray something contrary to the will of our father. Mm -hmm. He told us to pray something that the father has every intention of making happen. So we can stand here and say, yes, uh, we know that the kingdom of heaven is coming on earth. Um, Psalm 110, the resurrected mm -hmm. Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father, and we see his law and his truth going forth from Zion, and people offering themselves willingly in the day of his power, and we see him ruling and conquering the nations. Mm -hmm. And it, the big picture for many Christians is, is defeatist rather than seeing that Jesus Christ is king, right. his kingdom is advancing, that the way of the transgressor is hard, that foolishness is never a long-term strategy, uh, that even secularism really can't stand. You know, it's not something that's going to be able to um, be maintained as like um, a radical Islam would or a robust Christian faith where we see the Lordship of Christ in all of these things. And there's going to be a lot of work as guys do start to have their eyes open to this. Vern Poitras' book, The Lordship mm -hmm. of Christ, is a something I'd recommend to guys. He's got a little section in the back on Two Kingdoms Theology, but all throughout, just very good material that can help guys start to make the connections. And when you do, um, you're right, it does shape a, a lot. Uh, I think mm -hmm. a lot of this is involved 
es the eschatological or you know redemptive right. historical I, I, either of those ideas are huge when it comes to your hermeneutic and what you're seeing there and then in your applications of the word as well absolutely all right well let's switch gears here a little bit i'm going to have two more questions for you and i'll go ahead and prepare you the last question i ask set you up to praise god for his grace i always ask why do you love jesus so much so you can kind of put that in, in your mind and that's where we're going here but before that uh you're a younger pastor serving alongside dr askell dr askell's had many decades of faithful ministry uh and you know living for god and others and and preaching the grace of God and loving the grace of God and, uh, and just doing some really good work. And now you're a younger guy coming in, associate pastor of, of Grace Church. How is it that that relation, how's that relationship going and how do you not fall into uh, kind of like a, a just a, a blending of the two personalities? How, how do you, I got a lot of young guys that listen to this. They're, they're associate pastors or youth pastors at, at churches and they're plugging away, wanting to obey the Lord and, uh, and there can, there's a lot of churches where your situation with Dr. Askell and yourself doesn't work out very well because everybody loves Dr. Askell. We don't want Jared to be the pastor here. Or we, Dr. Askell wants to hang on and he's there until he's 90. There's, and I'm using your names as representative of other situations. I'm not saying that those things are actually true about you both. But how do you maintain um, uh, health between Dr. Askell and yourself? Because you seem like your friends. How does it go the way it's going without imploding? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great question. It is all of grace. That's for sure. Um, you know, when that, that phrase will be forever stuck in my mind when uh, Tom collapsed a while back with a medical episode and was in the hospital yeah. and, and talked to him and he we did this little um, podcast and uh, he was still laid up in the hospital bed and he had this last line of it's all of grace. It's all of grace. And so we can see that pattern of of issues between spiritual leadership going on in churches. It's just a reality. And you say, right. well, why is that? Well, Genesis 3 is real. Um, sin is real. It's just a fallen world. Uh, sometimes it's not just, you know, one or the other or both are just rampant, prideful men, but uh, it's just a reality in a fallen world. But I think authority is, is huge in this. And, you know, there was a big movement for a while of not having uh, the senior pastor. And so I've been a part of models that were co-pastor models where there wasn't a senior pastor. Mm -hmm. It worked well for a little bit and then it failed. Mm -hmm. And I, I uh, think you see authority and structure in the world and there see in your staff leadership. So I think it's a good idea to have a lead pastor or a, or a senior pastor an associate or using that kind of language. But just saying that is not enough. Then you have to know, how do you, how do you embody that? What does it mean if you're an elder, which means you're going to have one vote and you need to vote your conscience. You need to vote, you know, exercise your stewardship because you're going to give an account for how you shepherd right. the flock, no matter whether you're associate or whatever it is. Um, over against this principle of initiation. And so mm -hmm. watching, like watching initiation and how that works, that's one idea I would have for guys that are in that. Um, and then you just got to love each other. So it's mm -hmm. easy with Tom, you know, I would say w one way you could solve it all is just make Tom the senior pastor. I really believe that he's brilliant at it. He's such a, he's such a, he's such a friend, such a mentor, such a blessing, such a wise leader, um, huge skills and just navigating meetings. I remember coming here, just, you know, just taking notes every single day when I'm in a meeting, mm -hmm. I was like, I've been in meetings where that kind of thing was happening and that wasn't going to go good. How did you do that? How did right. you just make everybody agree? And everybody kind of thinks it was their idea and you knew what was going to happen. Like, it's yeah. fascinating to watch him work. Um, 
but you got to pray for one another. Um, honestly, I, I pray for Tom every single morning, you know, be mornings where I've have failed to pray. So I'm not saying 365, but right. I have my routines in the morning. I sit there and after I pray for myself and my wife and my kids and household, I pray for Tom. He's right there next on the list. And I know that's, that's the same. So you, you do have to have your, your own mind. So there, there's going to be all kinds of temptations for guys in different situations, whether they're going to be tempted to just kind of totally go their own way and not get into the rhythm of that uh, senior pastor and following initiation. Right. Um, or they could be the opposite and just never have an idea and not watch his back and not be able to um, debate. And so uh, I've had multiple people remark that watch Tom and I and either our elders meetings or staff meeting, we're sitting there, working this thing out you can see it sometimes on the sword and the trowel we'll have we'll like to press ideas right. and you develop this friendship that allows you to do that that really you sometimes you know we're we might be arguing the case just to try to strengthen the point or think about where the qualification needs to be made or something like that mm -hmm. so it's glorious and can't be done but it starts with kind of knowing there is a framework of hierarchy and that those labels aren't um aren't bad and i think right. some guys still wonder you know it's right thing to do i think it's the right thing to do you see it in the created order you can't get away from um this pattern and yet you know there the places that you see it say governor to his state or parents to their children or husband to wife mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to have that mapped perfectly on to your senior and associate or your president your vice president it's not going to be exactly the same as those of course but you've got to at least see that in the world and then try to feel the rhythm the melody and the harmony of that structure that god has put in creation yeah it's good stuff man very good uh all right jared dr longshore why do you love jesus so much oh how could i not because he first loved me isn't that how the song goes yeah uh, he has loved me uh, in amazing ways and i agree with the apostle paul that i'm the chief of sinners uh, I could stand and give you a laundry list of things and how I've rebelled against God Almighty. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for me. He took my sins upon him. He has risen again. He intercedes for me even now. He is king. He is priest. He is prophet. He protects me. He uh, preaches to me and uh, is always everything that I'm failing to do and loves me uh, unconditionally. So uh, I love him because he first loved me. Amen. Amen. Well, a lot of, uh, like I said at the beginning, a lot of my listeners are familiar with founders and all the, the things that you guys are doing, but to say there's somebody, man, this guy, I like this guy, he's got a deep voice. And if you were going to sing a song, you'd definitely be the baritone. Uh, where, where could they find more about you and your work and founders and everything that's going on? Yeah, go to founders.org. If you go there, that's our website. From there, you'll be launched into all kinds of stuff. We have the podcast, The Sword and the Trowel, that's weekly. We have articles that are constantly going up there. We have a publishing house called The Founders Press, where you can get the book By What Standard um, and other resources. We have a journal that's there. We have a conference coming up in January, for those who are interested in coming down, uh, on the doctrine of God. And we actually think it's you know, of course, it's important. It's the doctrine of God, uh, but it's foundational to the problems that we're having now. So uh, we have uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Founders Ministries. You'll find it all those places. That's good. Well, I appreciate it, Jared. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. 
You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.